You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. We did it again. We made it to Friday. Congratulations. Good morning. Welcome in. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Whole bunch on the agenda today. Plenty to run through. And of course, as you know, not much time to do so. So, of course, you know the deal. One hour, 60 minutes, so let's get a move on. Number you know, 1-800-919-ESPN. I am on Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Damer. Daily poll question will be up momentarily, but today is Friday, so that means net picks and chill pick for this week. And let me tell you, right off the bat, people, let's let's open up and share. Not easy to find. The things that I had to go through to find this week's pick not easy, but I am so uh, impressed by the find that I did come up with that I'm not even – it's a series. I'm not even really – I think I'm just maybe halfway through this season, and the pick that we have for today, very impressed. So much so, I would say that this might have the possibility – now, again, I haven't finished it, but it has the possibility of being – the best series on Netflix currently. How's that for a tease? All right, so we'll get to that. Of course, last night was the baseball draft. They wrapped it up, right? They're only doing five rounds. So after the success of our analysis of the baseball draft yesterday, we'll go back to it today. Good pick, bad pick, based on the player's name. And you might say, Gordon, that's a really dumb way to judge things. Well, at least in terms of the baseball draft, it seems as good as any. And again, as I mentioned yesterday, this is sports talk radio, people. Dumb has never stopped us before. But let's start at the beginning, as we always do. Yesterday, we were focused on uh, baseball commissioner Rob Manfred's statement that there will be baseball in 2020 and that the owners slash league was set to present a fresh proposal to the players. And assuming that they don't immediately throw it into the fire, I guess you'd have to consider that that's an improvement. And again, as we always do, the space-time continuum has not been delayed, so the clock is it does continue to tick, right? Time continues to move on. Sometimes it seems like that time during quarantine is moving very, very slow, but it is still moving. And at least no reports were that the uh, players-slash-owners, or rather the owners-slash-league, presented that proposal to the players yesterday, and we know that because it was not immediately rejected. That has seen... Based on the way things have gone so far, you know when there is a proposal from one side to the other because the reaction is immediately, this is the worst thing that I've ever seen before. So we have to assume that the fact the players did not have any statements yesterday like that means that baseball has not presented that offer as of yet. So we just kind of wait and see whether or not there will ever be an offer, assuming that there is, since Rob Manfred said, and whether it's something more than the bare minimum of 48, 50 games, whatever. But during this whole process, the players have claimed that the owners are essentially trying to force either a salary cap or they're trying to put things in place where they're taking away from the players to make themselves whole during this whole uh, pandemic time. And, you know, the 50-50 revenue split was a way to get that in. And essentially, they're not falling for the banana in the tailpipe. Um, while that might, you know, sometimes that sounds like a, a negotiation tactic, right? Well, the players are saying that because, you know, they're just trying to work out a better deal. But there are reasons for why the players feel that way. Because 
one of the owners has now come out and said there should be a salary cap. Diamondbacks owner Ken Kendrick went on the uh, radio in Arizona yesterday, pushed for revenue sharing, pushed for a, a salary cap, said, quote, why is it that we are the only sport that doesn't have revenue sharing? All of the other major sports have revenue sharing. What would be happening right now? Think about it. If this situation would have evolved and we would have had in a revenue sharing model, we would be acting as partners to get back together and get back on the field. The very lack of a revenue sharing model puts us in an adversarial position when we really ought to be partners and advancing the game and building the revenues because all would win in those circumstances. Well, of course, for, for Ken, the, if you're going to move forward, it's amazing that you're bringing this up now about, you know, let's, let's work together because when the game has been making money hand over fist the last few years, doesn't really seem like the owners were all that willing to have that whole sharing of the revenue and building together as partners. And we all win when we come together. And the problem I would assume is if you want to be partners with someone on something, you have to have trust. You have to have the the trust in that other person that they're going to do right by you. You know, there was a reason back in the fifth and sixth grades, no one wanted to partner with me on the science fair. It's because they looked around, they saw my 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 school history, and they realized this guy's dead weight. He's not going to pull his share. And you have to have trust. And people in the fifth and sixth grade knew Gordon was not going to be burning the midnight oil to uh, work on the uh, volcano project. Just wasn't going to do it. I had my Coleco vision. I was very happy. But And the players, it's been pretty clear, have zero trust in the owners. And for good reason. Because, essentially, you try to screw them at every turn. If you want to be partners, I would think the first step is you'd have to open the books. And all the books, right? Are the owners willing to do that? So it's all well and good to talk about being partners. And we shouldn't have this adversarial position. Well, it's kind of hard not to have that adversarial position when every step of the way you have been, you have proven that you are untrustworthy. And look, it'll be floated a lot of times as a combat, competitive balance thing. It's not. Salary caps are not about competitive balance. It's a way to keep costs down for the owners. Now, I get why owners would want that. And they've done a good job of trying to present that to fans as, well, this is the reason why we we all have to be on equal footing. But the evidence shows you that that really has not been the case. Baseball, in terms of – baseball's got a lot of problems. Competitive balance is not one of them outside of the fact that you have teams who are actively tanking. That is an issue. But in terms of having different teams win year in and year out, that's proven – they've proven to be – uh, pretty competitive in terms of that. So, uh, and certainly more so than the NFL or the NBA, which has salary caps. Now, another thing that people will float is, well, Gordon, come on, the, the prices for these games, the prices for these sports, it's just way too high. You'd realize what it would cost a family of four to go to the game. But, well, I, I would agree with you. Uh, in general, Going to games can be very expensive. Tickets, parking, all these different things. Food at the game, absolutely. But baseball, 
is a, a fact. The fact that they have so many games is among the most affordable of the Big Four, and more importantly, and this is really the the key. There's zero research that shows that increased salaries leads to increased ticket prices. It's not the way it works. Generally, ticket prices go up because there is more demand by consumers, right? If teams raised prices every time they wanted to pad their revenues, well, then they would just make game tickets a lot higher all the time. Ticket prices increase generally when fans believe that their team is going to be good. And there's a willingness of fans to pay more for those tickets. So for Ken Kendrick and anyone else, it's amazing. When Blake Snell came out and said what he said and had his statements, uh, I guess it was about a month ago, maybe a little bit more than that now, everybody was jumping down that kid's throat and, and oh, you know, this guy with the bro this and the bro that. Well, look, it, it's important for for the Players Association to, I think, kind of focus a little, not all of it, but at least a little bit of keeping everybody in line and keeping everybody on message to kind of win the PR battle. I wonder whether or not anybody's going to come down on Major League Baseball and uh, the owners for keeping everybody there. You know, one day you have one owner saying, uh, the guy in uh, St. Louis saying, well, you know, this is not really a, that profitable of a business. Your team's worth $2.2 billion. You bought it for $150 million 25 years ago. I don't know all the ins and outs. Sounds pretty profitable. So that's the baseball story as we wait for them to uh, come up uh, with uh, something new there in terms of a proposal. And again, we, we're not going to play any sound of Jeff Passan. I don't think we had any of Jeff Passan saying the clock is ticking. But I think everybody kind of knows, hey, you know what? The clock is ticking. The other story, another story that we have this morning, headline number two of three, is that golf is back. Boy, really leading with the clickbait early in the show. All right, I can't wait to see the rundown for today's show. Gordon opens with baseball and then turns to golf. Yeah, those calls are going to be going well. We're going to get a full bank in a little couple of minutes, 1-800-919-ESPN. But PGA Tour back, uh, returned for the first time since the coronavirus uh, shutdown. The uh, Charles Schwab Challenge got underway yesterday. I'm sure the clip that everyone has seen by now, basically... Uh, couple of minutes in, Jim Nance needing to apologize for uh, John Ram dropping an F-bomb early on in the broadcast. I, I Look, I maintain that we should have – the one thing that we have seen during this pandemic is that uh, there should be an option for a censor-free broadcast somewhere, either online or something, right, with the, with the, um, the appeal of uh, The Last Dance having both the unedited or the uncensored uh, version of uh, the show – and then the censored version, okay, maybe on, you know, the, the main channel, you put the censored version on, right, if the kids are watching. But there should be that option. I'd like to hear the, you know, I'm not saying that I want it all the time. I don't need it to sound like Scarface. But, you know, every once in a while, it does add a little flavor. Uh, so the Charles Schwab Challenge got underway yesterday. And one of the things that I wondered going into no sports was, if you're like a big sports gambler, what are we going to do? Now, we've had some events here or there, but I was wondering, like, if you have a problem, like the fact that there's not going to be any sports to gamble on outside of, like, I guess there was some European uh, soccer someplace, and, and maybe that would appeal to somebody who's just looking to get some action. But Darren Ravel tweeted out yesterday that the Charles Schwab Challenge is the most heavily bet on already 
PGA Tour event ever. So people have obviously been chomping at the bit. What, but Larry, you don't know anything about golf. Uh, it doesn't matter. I got to get some action in. But good on the PGA for getting anything uh, up and running. You know, I know it's not one of the big four, but you think about the amount of roadblocks with the amount of people being involved in that event. And I have not really seen this uh, broadcast as, 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 you know, as focused on as it probably should be. But there was not, they tested for almost 500 people, 487 people were tested prior to that event. Players, uh, caddies, essential personnel, and not one of the 487 tested positive for COVID-19. So that is obviously uh, some, uh, out of all the news that you will hear in a sports sense, I think that's probably the best news out of anything. And then you have headline number three, Pete Carroll going on the record yesterday saying that he regrets not signing Colin Kaepernick uh, three years ago. He denied that there was a second meeting with the quarterback that was uh, brushed aside because of the team. But he also said that he had received a phone call earlier in the day from a team asking about Colin Kaepernick. And he said that that had not happened until now. So there have been plenty of demands with everything that's gone on with the NFL and Roger Goodell's statement. There's been plenty of demands that the NFL must find a team to sign him. Uh, I would think that, and we don't know this because Colin Kaepernick has not said it, it's a question to me, at least the first question is, does he want a reasonable shot to play or is he just looking for any team, any opportunity, anywhere? I know that people have now trying to present it as that the trust has been repaired. I don't know that. I'm not making that assumption on Colin Kaepernick's part, that he trusts the NFL now and that it's all water under the bridge. I would think if he's going to go through all the work of getting back into shape for the NFL, he would want at least an opportunity where he has maybe he's not going to be a starter, but at least a reasonable shot to play, not just an injury thing. So when you look at it through that prism, it's a lot harder than you think to find a place where Kaepernick would have a reasonable shot to play, not just an injury situation where the starter goes down and, all right, they need somebody. If he if he doesn't mind just being a backup and the possibility of being a backup for an entire season, well, then that that's pretty easy to find him a spot. But if he's looking for a re- – it's a harder thing than you think. I saw somebody yesterday, well, what about Carolina? Carolina just signed Teddy Bridgewater to a contract of three years with $30 million guaranteed. They're not going to be moving off him as the starter that quickly. Now, if he's if he gets hurt, obviously, and he does have an injury history, so that may be a thing. But it's not clear-cut that, oh, yeah, that's a place where, yeah, they would definitely want to sign Colin Kaepernick. He led uh, with baseball, the golf. We got the Kaepernick stuff in and uh, touched on that. And if you want to get in on that, 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. Our poll question, which is up for today, it's on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. It is, should Major League Baseball have a salary cap? We went uh, with the story from Ken Kendrick, the Diamondbacks owner, uh, saying about, you know, this would be all solved if we had a salary cap and revenue share. Yeah, of course, yeah, it's great that you're bringing this up now, Ken. But no, I, I, I do not want baseball to have a salary cap. Mainly because to institute it, you would have to blow up baseball. The plot, you think that they're, they're, they're dying on the hill of 100% of their prorated salaries? 
the war that would need to take place in Major League Baseball to for the league to be able to institute a salary cap, that, that ship has sailed and it is long gone. They have taken that ship out of the rotation of ships. Forget about being past the horizon. That conversation is long gone. And for all the talk about all the problems that baseball has, and right now they have a lot of them, the biggest issue, the biggest detriment to the game is not having the game. So strikes, lockouts, labor stoppages, that's the biggest problem. And you would have to shut down the sport basically for a long, long time to be able to institute a salary cap. So, no, I do not want to see baseball have a salary cap, mainly because it's just uh, too bloody a battle. And they don't need it. They don't need it. Now, they do need to fix the competitive balance parts of things. Uh, and, and having teams tanking is not good when you have so many of them not even trying to win year after year after year. So maybe you have to uh, change the, the motivations for teams so that they're not doing that. But no, in terms of whether or not there should be a salary cap, no, I don't. I don't want that, that in uh, Major League Baseball. But let's get to a couple of other stories about uh, the NBA, right? Because the NBA, for all the the beautiful talk about how well things have been going in the NBA, all of a sudden it now seems like there might be some trouble in paradise, even at the happiest place on earth, down in Orlando at, at uh, Disney World. So now that the players are starting to get to some of the details of what life will be like. Living under the bubble, all of a sudden things for the Knicks don't seem so bad. No, uh, the players are apparently shocked by finding out some of the details of this plan. Here's Brian Windhorst from SportsCenter last night with Scott Van Pelt talking about how the players are have been in for a rude awakening. Playing. And then the details have really been shared with all of them in the last three or four days, and they're just a little shocked. Um, they're just in a little bit of a state of, wow, I didn't know we were only going to be allowed to go here. I didn't know we were going to be seven weeks until I can see my wife or my girlfriend. Uh, I didn't know that I'm going to be restricted to these buses and this movement. I do think that they'll come around it because, you know, when I first started studying the concept of the bubble back in April... I was like, wow, there's no way this can happen. And, and I mean, the more people I talked to, even at this company, who was going to produce this thing, uh, were like, wow, I don't think this is going to happen. And then the more time that passed, the more time I got to understand it and learn about it and learn more about what could be done for the virus, I came around to understand that this was possible. And I think ultimately the players will too, because we're still a long way from having to go in. But I can't say for sure that that will happen for everybody. Okay, so there's Brian Windhorst on SportsCenter last night. He also uh, said that uh, players might have jumped the gun a little bit, right? Their desire to play was so great, maybe they agreed to these bubble terms without really understanding what they meant. There's players high up in the union that I think were surprised by finding these details out and are part of the group that isn't so sure. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's people on the executive committee of the union who aren't so sure that they want to go forward with this. And those are the people that were on the front lines of talking about this. So um, I do think that it's like a proxy for anything. So I think this proxy was approved and it probably needed a little bit more examination. And that's what's going on right now. But for fans out there, I do think we're going to see the NBA bubble. It's going to happen on schedule, and I think we're going to see the majority of the players in there wanting to make a go of this. And I would think that most of the teams that are going to be around the longest, right, like the real contenders for the title, 
Not that they are on lockdown mode anyway, but I would think that they, even if it were not during this uh, pandemic time, not in the time of quarantine, that during the playoffs, you're kind of on lockdown anyway, and there's not that time where you're really focused on on family stuff and and wife stuff and all those different times. And I would say this, and I'm, I'm only half joking, like during the shutdown, you've been around these people nothing but for 24-7. Like you need a little bit of a break, don't you? I don't know. I feel like I need <laughs> – can I play on an NBA team just to get, to get away for a little while? I don't know. That's just the way I feel. And they, they're raising the thing about, you know, wives and girlfriends. I think the bigger thing is for the guys who have kids. And I would think if you're away from your kids for seven weeks, that's the, the toughest one. And I'm not telling you it won't be tough. But I would think that when you have the goal, uh, you know, if you're one of these real contenders, that you, you have to kind of be willing to sacrifice that for what your your life goal is. And you have to kind of put that on hold and that you do that to a certain degree anyway when you when you have the job that you, you have. So it's not going to be easy. I'm not saying that it, that it is, but... I would think that players will get on board. I would think the policing of it for the league is going to be the most difficult, right? Like making sure that players are keeping to what the rules are. Not to necessarily sneak off and see their family, but just to kind of get away from things. Get outside that bubble just to, to, to get a little bit of a break of living in that isolation that they have. That's going to be difficult. But I think getting the players on board, I'm not saying that all of them are going to be on board. Maybe there will be some that uh, don't get on board. But I would think that uh, when when push comes to shove that they they will be uh, uh they will be in agreement that this is what they got to do if they, if they want to be if they want to play the season these are kind of the rules and while I think it would be tough to institute it for everybody and police the whole thing I think that they will have to I guess begrudgingly agree to it. Uh here's Adrian Wojnarowski is the season in jeopardy because of this Adrian? I still think that the NBA will return in July. I do think there'll be players who won't be a part of it. I think it'll be more so on teams outside of the championship. That's the whole cut? Okay. All right, so there's Woj. Not exactly a Woj bomb there, but uh, okay, it's always good to go, uh, get Woj involved in the show. All right, Gordon Damer Show, 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. So that's the, uh, the I guess that's the, the remaining headline about the NBA, and that's something I guess we'll keep uh, our focus on. But there were a couple other stories NBA-related that I did want to touch on. One of them, this story about Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard told uh, Vanity Fair in an interview that he thought – that he was going to be traded to the Knicks a few years ago. He also added, the Garden is my favorite uh, place to uh, play. He has uh, Stephen A. has said in the past that if Lillard didn't stay in Portland, his two preferred destinations were either the Knicks or the Lakers. And boy, talk about running the gamut there. You know, it's funny. You always hear people say, you know, I love, I love playing at the Garden. The Garden is my favorite place. And um, I can understand why. Because if you're on an opposing team, you're almost certainly guaranteed a win. If you're on a halfway decent team the last few years and during Damian Lillard's career, I would think that uh, for the most part, if you go to the Garden, you were pretty much guaranteed a whole lot better chance than in most teams. So I, w I can see why playing at the Garden is his favorite place to play because you have a very good chance of winning the game. And that's I would think that that has to be at least a part of the factor there.
The other thing is, have you has anyone else seen the, these pictures of uh, of Nikola Jokic? He has undergone this transformation. He was one of the heaviest. He's a huge guy, right? He was one of the heaviest players in the NBA. His weight was listed as 284 pounds, which is probably being a little kind. But say it's a little higher than that, or maybe, I don't know, it seems like it could have been a little higher than that. Just judging by your eyes, he looks like he's 160 pounds. I mean, he has undergone such a transformation at a time where it seems really odd to undergo this kind of transformation. Like, Maybe he thought that the season was not going to continue, so he decided to undergo a new diet and exercise plan. Does anyone else find this very, very odd? I have not heard how. I'm sure he'll talk about how he just changed his diet. I mean, he has he's had to have lost easily 60 pounds. He does not look like the same guy anymore. He looks like Christos Porzingis. That's how thin he looks. And he was, as I said, one of the biggest players in the NBA. It seems like a very odd time when the season was not definitely called. There was never really a point. But when it first happened, it seemed unlikely that the season would, would continue. But to during a time where you're in lockdown and everything else, maybe, I don't know, does he live? Maybe he traveled. I would think it would be hard for him to travel away from the country when all of this was going on, but maybe he went back to uh, wherever he's from and, and lived there, and, and the issues there were not as great as the issues here, so he didn't have to be in isolation. But it seems really, really weird that that, that that's the time. It wasn't the off season, And you have to see the pictures. He looks – you would not even recognize him. He looks like a completely different person. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. All right, so coming up, and, and Brian, I, I guess you just tweeted out, uh, I mean, he doesn't look like the same. He has had to. It looks like he lost 100 pounds. He looks like Christos Porzingis. He looks odd. exactly like Christos Porzingis. If they're who twins. Who has never been confused for one of the, the heaviest players in the NBA. So that's a real, and, and for a team, it's not like his team was out of it. His team, what are they, third or fourth in the West? They're high up. So very, very strange. Nobody, uh, I don't know. I don't know if anybody else has floated. Everybody is, is, has noticed it because it's so jarring. But doesn't anybody, uh, like when, when, when CC Sabathia did it, all right, he's a retired guy who's always had weight issues. And now that he's retired, he's looking to get in some better shape. And at least so far, he's been able to do that. And CC's been a guy, like a lot of people, they, they kind of balloon and, and they lose weight, they gain weight, you know, they go up and down, they yo-yo. This is a guy who's in is in his prime right now, who is, is one of the better players in the NBA and has undergone this drastic transformation. It seems a little odd to me. Seems a little odd. And the only thing you'll hear is, well, you know, he just kind of changed his diet. Really? That's all you have to do is change your diet. You lose a hundred pounds, and it's not—it's not like this has been going on for six months. All right, Gordon Damer Show, ninety-eight point seven FM, ESPN, New York. Our moment of inspiration. Have you seen this story of a, a this ninety-six-year-old Yankee fan? who has been, uh, she had been dealing with 
coronavirus, right? She comes down with coronavirus. She's been living in uh, one of these um, facilities, which have been so hard hit. And when she comes down with it, obviously it's not not a good situation for anybody, but especially the elderly. Well, not only did she come through it in flying colors, but her main complaint during it is that she missed, she's been wanting opening day, and she wants baseball back. Florence Simic, who lives in New Jersey, she lives uh, in Chatham at a care center. She loves the Yankees, and that's all she wants back. So uh, for, I think I can speak for Florence, 96 years old, and all the winning she's seen in her in her life. Let's get some baseball back, Rob Manfred. Let's get on. Let's get on it. Or at least let's make that proposal. He said yesterday that uh, not yesterday, two days ago. Well, you got this proposal. Well, let's get on it. Let's get moving. It's not like we we got all the time in the world here. We're supposed to be having baseball right now. Now we understand the reasons why they don't, but let's go. So your moment of inspiration. Congratulations to uh, to Florence for not only uh, battling the uh, coronavirus, but speaking for so many Yankee fans who want to see baseball back and uh, want uh, the, the, the owners to get uh, on the ball here. I would think that, right, like if, you, if you're not going to get something by, I guess, next week, right? Like how long is it going to go until baseball just institutes this plan, right? Like I don't think it's going to take until the end of June. So we're already at the, what, the 12th? I would think that this next week, if you don't – if this next proposal – doesn't get some 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 movement one way or the other. You'd have to think that they're just gonna. That's where it's going right now, right? Like the you, you know that they're negotiating with that in their back pocket. So let's hope that uh, this next proposal is something where, as Carl Ravage floated on on the draft, you know what about sixty five games or seventy games. Full prorated salaries. That's what, that's the main thing that the players want. What's the, what's the most games that baseball can offer with a full prorated salary? No more of this 75%, no more 80%, 50%. What's the number? That's where the conversation needs to begin. And until baseball, the owners, the commissioner start that conversation, well, then there's no reason to, uh, to, 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 to really focus on it all that much. And our poll question, which is up for today. On Twitter, at Gordon Damer is, should Major League Baseball have a salary cap? That kind of ties into the comments from uh, Ken Kendrick, the Diamondbacks owner, yesterday saying on an Arizona radio station that, well, you know, this wouldn't be happening if we didn't have a salary. Well, you might have a salary cap if you had any goodwill coming from the players. But when you have, you know, systematically and historically always tried to cheat them out of every last dime, and have kind of done that here as well. Not that there's not blame on both sides, but you would ha- maybe have that salary cap if you had uh, had a little bit more good faith and a little bit more long-term thinking years and years ago. But that issue has now kind of sailed. The, the baseball will, unless you're willing to shut down the sport for years and years and years to get a salary cap, it's never going to happen. And you know what? The good news is you don't need one. The salary cap we have seen time and time again, it's not about competitive balance. It's not about partnership with the players. It's a way for the owners to keep costs down. And baseball, despite the claims of this owner or that owner, when they are playing, they're making more than enough money. They're doing fine. I know that we're, you know, the, the, the grave has been dug for baseball time and time again. 
but uh, it's not really the case. They're doing just fine when games and, and, and eventually when they do get back up and running and life gets back to normal, they'll be making money again. Nobody, nobody has gotten rid of a team in Major League Baseball because they just, it just, it's just a, a, a money pit, right? Like, oh, I, I just can't, I can't afford to sink any more money into this anymore. I gotta get out. They get out because they can sell it for two billion dollars. So that's the poll question. It's up on Twitter at Gordon Damer. All right, should I go with uh, net picks and chill picks for this week? Let's do that first. So yesterday was the anniversary of the final episode of The Sopranos. And when you talk about, you know, the golden age of TV, it's not happening without The Sopranos, right? It's still fantastic. And I guess there is enough time that has passed that I guess there is a series of, you know, there's enough people out there that have not seen the series. So if you've not seen the series, I mean, obviously, that's uh, it's, it's right up there, right? When you're talking about the, the, the Mount Rushmore of great television shows, we could all kind of debate what the four are, but I would think that just about everybody has to have The Sopranos in there. Brian, have you seen The Sopranos? You're 29. Yes, I have. You've seen The Sopranos. All right, so maybe you're not. Maybe there I are saw more. it actually recently, like a year ago. So. Yeah, you were not really in it while it was airing, obviously. it's It's been off the air now, I think, 13 years, as I said. But uh, I actually had to, not, not to I had to do a college assignment on The Sopranos. I had to do a college assignment on The Sopranos on seasons, oh, okay. well, that's on seasons yeah, that's one a, and two. So that yeah, helped that's out, a too. Perfect, that's a perfect show. And look, you get the benefit. You know, all of us that were watching it live at the time – if you had any complaints about the Sopranos outside of the, 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 the fact that the character, the kids characters were, you know, <laughs> you were waiting. All right. Meadow. Here comes, here comes AJ. Here I comes got a couple AJ. Minutes here. Miserable. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, one of the big problems with the Sopranos was just how long it took them after a season was over. You knew it was going to be like 18 months before there was going to be another season. So that was one problem. But look, if we were doing a character tournament of great TV characters, Tony Soprano, would uh, be a number one seed by far, the number one overall seed by far. But, you know, it's interesting because David Chase was being interviewed somewhere. I guess he's coming out with a book about The Sopranos, and people have touched on how he has spoiled the ending. Now, again, if you've not uh, seen The Sopranos. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, right. The big spoiler at the end is that when the season – look, everybody knows this by now. You have to know it if you know anything about The Sopranos is the ending is very controversial because of the the way they did it was they were all kind of sitting around Holston's ice cream shop in uh, in in uh, Bloomfield. And is that Bloomfield or Montclair? I think it's Bloomfield. Uh, and the, and the, the screen goes to black. And people at the time all debate – oh, everybody thought that their cable cut out. And people have kind of debated what did that mean, what did – I think now that enough time has passed, we all kind of know what it means. But David Chase in an interview said that he had the idea for two years and he re referred to it as a death scene. So now people are saying, oh, wow, he's, he's, he's giving us the answer. Don't we have the answer by – I mean, like, I get it. At the time, it was really jarring and it was – people were kind of trying to figure out the way to read it. What does it actually mean at the time? I, you know, you don't want to think that that's what it meant. But when you rewatch it, you go back, especially over that final season, the conversation he has with Bobby Bacala about what do you think happens when you die it just goes to black. It's really not ambiguous at all. So, spoiler alert. He might not have said it in, in specific terms, but it's pretty clear that that's what it means. He died. Tony Soprano dies. Okay, spoiler alert. Who do you think did it? I think it's clearly the guy that goes into the bathroom. Now, who that guy is. Yes, that's all I'm I mean, to that's out. all up. You can still debate that. But in terms of what actually happens in that scene, 
I don't really think you can com- you can come up with a compelling argument for it meaning anything other than Tony Soprano dies. And unfortunately, we don't have to because the fact that James Gandolfini died as young as he did, there's no possible – they're coming up right now, or at least they were, with the, the prequels. But there's no temptation by David Chase or anybody else involved in the show to kind of convince you, oh, no, he didn't die there. We've got some movie in the works or something else. No, I mean, it's clear that that's what the intent of that scene was, and that's why they filmed it and shot it and, and, and aired it that way. It's clear that Tony dies. All right. For this week, not easy to come up with a net picks and chill pick. Despite this, I have. I think I have. But although I will say this, I think at this point I've reached the tipping point in entertainment qu- quarantine. You know, before this, with all the streaming options that you have, it's not easy to – there was almost too many options, right? You didn't have enough time to run through stuff. And now it seems like uh, it, it's kind of flipped. <laughs> I think I'm running out of options. I got more than enough time, but I'm running out of options. So last week I told you Space Force, which is legit, terrible. And it's funny because every once in a while – who was it? Somebody prominent that I follow on Twitter came out and said, you know, does Space Force get any better? No, no, it doesn't, which is kind of amazing because it starts bad. It gets slightly, just slightly better at one point, and then it just falls off the table. And the ending, oh, my God, it's, it's, whew, yikes, terrible. And you would figure with the people involved, the resources available would be better. All right, so I digress. That's terrible. So as a result of that, that has ripple effects. When you pick a show and you're married and you pick a show that's terrible, there are, there are repercussions. So as a result of making my wife sit through that, she has wanted to watch this series. It's on HBO called I Know This Much Is True or This Much I Know Is True or something along those lines. It's a mini series based on a book. It's about two brothers. One's mentally ill. You should know this about me. When it comes to entertainment, I can't turn things off. Like if I start a series, I am. it might take me a while, but I'm going to finish a series. But this thing. Whew, talk about a rough watch. Oh, if you feel like during this time of isolation and, uh, you know, maybe you feel a, a sense of hopelessness with the way of the world. Well, if you watch this, you will find a whole new rock bottom you didn't know exist. Oh, my goodness. I watch, you know, what did we watch? Three episodes and three nights. Last night, my wife's like, you want me to put it on? I said, no, sweetie. I said, I think I need a palate cleanser. I mean, this is a rough, rough watch. So I can't, in good conscience, tell you to go watch something that, look, it's well done. Mark Ruffalo is in it. He plays the twin brothers, and he's amazing. At one point, you kind of forget it's the same guy. But I can't recommend it. I can't recommend it. It's a little too rough. So then I watched... Uh, the Jeffrey Epstein thing on Netflix, Filthy Rich, because that's a story, to be honest, I didn't know that much about. I love documentaries. But again, little heavy. And for a guy who is like this shady character, after watching a whole documentary about him, I don't really feel like I know that much more about him. Like, one of the questions I had going into it was, all right, like, how did this guy get this rich? Never really answer it. <laughs> so I can't recommend that. So the Gordon Damer show, Net Picks and Chill Pick for this week. I am not all the way through it, but I can say that at least so far, this series has at least the possibility to be the best thing on Netflix. Mindhunter, to me, is the number one series on Netflix. 
But this series is called Jiri Haji. It's a detective series. It's about a um, Japanese detective's got to travel to London uh, about some some shady business that his brother has gotten into with this gang. It's very smart. It keeps you locked in. The way they shot it, it's like a movie. It's beautifully shot. A bit of humor. You need to have that humor mixed in. I'm about halfway through now, unless it completely falls on its face. Jiri Haji is the pick for this week. I think you really like it. It's it's one of those things that is definitely bingeable. Like you get through one episode, you're kind of interested in the next episode. Some shows are not like that, even though they're well done. Sometimes you, <laughs> you need to take a step back. But Jiri Haji, it's on Netflix. It's, it hasn't been out that long, I don't think. But the reviews are very, very solid. I haven't heard about it. we can give it a big thumbs up on, on this end. So, again, halfway through, unless it completely falls on its face, which is always possible. But it's about gangs, and the gang is after his brother. The older brother is a detective, so he's got a responsibility to that. But he's also got a responsibility to try and make sure his brother doesn't get killed. Very, very solid so far, and I really give it a big thumbs up. Jiri Haji on Netflix. All right, a little uh, Sopranos music there, right, with uh, the way it uh, ended. Gordon Damer Show, 98.7 FM, ESPN New York, 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. All right, so yesterday was rounds two through five of the baseball draft. And as we did yesterday during the recapping of the first round, Let's recap. We'll have our draft analysis of the baseball draft based solely on what we know of the players, which is essentially their names. Give me a little music, Brian. we got a couple of names that we can run through. I will say this, maybe more so than anyone in the first round, if you are to simply judge based on whether this sounds like a baseball player's name, there is probably no better example. Clear your mind. Close your eyes if you... Well, maybe if you're driving, don't do that because uh, the people driving lately... Oof, yikes. That quarantine did not help people's driving skills. Let's put it that way. If I told you there was a player, I think this might be the guy that I would put money on being the best player in this draft. The Brewers in the second round yesterday with the 53rd pick took shortstop Freddie Zamora. That just sounds like a baseball player. That sounds like a middle infielder. Freddie Zamora. He went to Miami. This, of the things that I know, and I don't know anything about him, never watched him play. But Freddie Zamora, that just sounds like a baseball player. Now, we're running out of time, so I can't give you all the different names. But uh, how about the Tigers like their pick of Daniel Cabrera? That sounds like a baseball player. Daniel Cabrera. The Dodgers in the fifth round took Gavin Stone. Gavin Stone sounds like a... Oh, what is he? What do you think Gavin Stone is? Is he a pitcher? Yeah, he's a pitcher. Gavin Stone coming in out of the bullpen. That sounds like a baseball player. Worst picks based solely on their name. I would say that Dylan Dingler... Not good. I don't. I don't see that being. Uh, I don't see that being a successful. A successful pick. Dylan Dingler, Blaze Jordan. Sorry, professional wrestler Blaze Jordan. That might work out. Blaze Jordan, the pitcher. No, sorry, bad pick. And then finally, Tink Hence. Tink Hence. Sorry, can't. I can't see it. Maybe I'm wrong. And again, judging things based solely on people's names is dumb. But based on how we we. Judge drafts right after the fact anyway. 
is probably done and dumb. And as again, as I said in the open, this is sports talk radio. Dumb has never stopped us before. Has never stopped us before. All right, let's squeeze it. Uh, do we have time? Uh, let me squeeze in Spike. Spike's been waiting a while. Spike, go ahead, my man. Hey, thanks for the hat trick this week. The Sopranos comment would be, it's timeless, and you can watch it over and over and over again. It should be on your movie list. Um, you know, I mean, it's just that endless great show. It doesn't age. Would you agree? Absolutely. And yeah. I would say that the character, Tony Soprano, out of all the great characters we've oh. seen in TV in, in the past, you know, 20, 25 years, uh, Tony Soprano is uh, by far number one. Yeah, lovable bad, lovable bad guy. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that that's – and you know what, Spike? I think that that's the reason why, you know, when it first aired, I know I was one of those people that was like, no, Tony didn't die. It's just he's always looking over his shoulder. That's the way he's going to have to live his life now. But when you rewatch it, and, and, and since it's aired, I think I've rewatched it twice, uh, start to finish. Start to finish, uh, that's good. That's, yeah, that's a risking deal. I think that there's no other way, to, you know, for, for David Chase. And he, he did not want to come out and say what he was really, you know, he wanted to kind of speak for itself, and I can understand why. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that there's any other way to read the scene than, yeah, clearly Tony is shot and killed or, or dies somehow. He it, it cuts to black, and they had a reference to that earlier in the season, so. Yeah, I thought that Dr. Melfi was going to shoot him in the ice cream store. That was my guess. But we'll <laughs> that, would have been, that would have been a, a tad strange, but, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Right. Have a good weekend, my friend. Yeah, all right, Spike. Thanks, man, for the call. All right, I guess that's going to do it for today. Yeah, we're already out of time. We, we, I ran too long on that opening segment. I, you know what? I, you could blame me, but I, I blame Brian. It's just poor producing on Brian's part. He has got to. Uh, you've got to do a better job, Brian, of keeping me focused. All right, so that's going to do it for today. The poll question up for today on uh, Twitter at Gordon Dammer. Should baseball have a salary cap? You can vote on that. We'll be back Monday starting at 5 a.m. Check out uh, Jiri Haji on Netflix this weekend. I think you'll like it. But we'll be back Friday at 5. See you then. 98.7 FM, ESPN, New York. This is the Gordon Dammer Show on 98.7 ESPN.